0: to the chief of sinners. At one point, Brennan likens himself to Samson, that flawed superman whom God somehow found a way to use right up to the day of his death. Reading such stories in the Old Testament, I've come up with a simple principle to explain how God can use the likes of such imperfect men and women. God uses the talent pool available. Again and again, Brennan made himself available. In the last few years, nearly blind, subject to illness and falls, at an age when he should have been enjoying retirement on a beach in Florida, he kept getting on airplanes and flying places to proclaim a gospel he believes with all his heart but has not always lived. A wealthy man in Denver, having heard Brennan's powerful delivery at a local church, invited him to lead a week-long retreat for a group of eight hand-picked friends, including me. When Brennan announced the retreat would be silent, the benefactor was not happy. I bring him all the way up here to learn from his expertise, and he wants us to keep silent? Yet each of us had an hour a day of personal time with Brennan, a compressed time of spiritual direction, after meditating on writings and Bible passages he gave us. Brennan worked hard all day while most of the time we sat in the fields or in our rooms and meditated. Since the camp where we were staying had inadequate facilities, we went each evening to the nearest restaurant, a fancy chart house. The first night Brennan brought along a boom box with cassette tapes of Rich Mullins and John Michael Talbot, proposing that during dinner we listen to meditative music and continue our time of silence. Soon a chipper waitress showed up. Hi, guys. How are we all doing tonight? No response came, except for nods and a few tight smiles. A fellow diner recognized one of our group and came over to chat. Patrons at tables around us stared disapprovingly at the boombox, which was pumping out music that blatantly clashed with the restaurant's own Muzak. Brennan laughed, threw up his hands, and made a new rule. Silence suspended during evening dinner. I remember that comical scene when I think of Brennan. More than anyone I know, truly, he has sought a pure and holy life, to the extent of living in a cave in Spain for months, working side by side with the poor, taking vows of chastity, poverty and obedience. Yet his ideals flounder. Other noises, the clink of wine glasses, laughter from the bar, a woman's voice, distractions from others. In short, the messiness of life keep interfering with his holy quest. And the inner demons, which no one who has not experienced them can understand, rise up and take control. All is grace, Brennan concludes, looking back on a rich but stained life. He has placed his trust in that foundational truth of the universe, which he has proclaimed faithfully and eloquently. As a writer, I live in daily awareness of how much easier it is to edit a book than edit a life. When I write about what I believe and how I should live, it sounds neat and orderly. When I try to live it out, all hell breaks loose. Reading Brennan's memoir, I see something of the reverse pattern. By focusing on the flaws, he leaves out many of the triumphs. I keep wanting him to tell the stories that put him in a good light, and there are many. Choosing full disclosure in a narrative that might burnish his reputation, Brennan presents himself as the Apostle Paul once did, as a clay jar, a disposable container made of baked dirt. We must look to his other books for a full picture of the treasure that lies inside. A poem by Leonard Cohen says it well. Ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Philip Yancey To go on the grand tour, a man must be free from self-necessity. Patrick Kavanaugh, The Self-Slaved A word before. All his grace was written in a certain frame of mind, that of a ragamuffin. Therefore, this book is by the one who thought he'd be farther along by now.